Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes, Kevin Foote. On the game, simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. All right. Unfortunately, my my plan was to start the show out by asking several random questions to uh, rugby over here. Um you're gonna. It's gonna take a while before you shake the rugby one. At least on this show, I don't know if anybody else is gonna call you that. But, uh, but one of them, unfortunately, I think I already know the answer. I'll ask it anyway because y'all kind of uh, gave me a hint at what your answer would be to one of them, and that's good. We can argue about it. So, first question. Be honest, have you had any nightmares that you remember about Isaiah Pacheco since the playoff began? No, because I don't know why you get so worked up about another team having a good player. Like, we can't get them all. Well, yesterday, I mean, this morning I dropped my son off, and, and the coach there uh, at the middle school, he, 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 he flagged me, so I rolled down my window, and he said, Isaiah Pacheco, and he just shook his head. <laughs> he just shook his head. I'm like, I know. It's just because, you know, it's like I wouldn't hate Albert Pujols probably quite as much as I do had the Cardinals not gotten him in like the 13th round or whatever round. Like, It's like if they had drafted, like the Astros drafted Carlos Correa number one overall, he was supposed to be good. So you cannot like him, but he was supposed to be good. Like, if I'm an Astro, if I'm a Cardinal, well, back then a Cardinal fan, if I'm like a Ranger fan right now, I would probably hate Jose Altuve. The guy wasn't even supposed to do anything, and he's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame. He was undrafted. He came for a tryout. They said, little kid, get out of here. Don't, don't, just just leave. You, You can't do anything. Like, it's just not supposed to be that way. You're not supposed to get seventh-round picks that run that hard. And what's so frustrating is all you had to do is pick him in the sixth round. Yeah, but everybody could have just done that. I mean, I don't know which. Like, everybody could have taken Tom so Brady, too, and they didn't. The Saints, but not everybody has zero running backs on their team. Like, the Saints don't have any running backs. All they had to do is pick this guy in the sixth round. The one that makes me more frustrated than that is Boston Scott. He's a guy who was in your building and you let him go. And <laughs> him then you, too. And your depth has been depleted to the point of, which like, yeah. But I don't know. You can't get them all. I don't so know. I don't, but uh, Boston, I don't Scott, ba- Boston Scott doesn't bug me as much as Isaiah Pacheco. All right. So second question. If Aaron Rodgers really goes, and it seems like it's going to really happen, are you going to predict the Packers to make the playoffs with Jordan Love as the new quarterback in his first year as a starter? No. So in that division... Lions are better. Vikings are decent. Bears will, you know, we'll see. But... I mean, the Vikings got a good defensive coordinator. That might help them. 
And they're already I don't know about their personnel. Their their defense is really bad. Yeah, and they overachieved. But their obviously. offense is good. But I think Detroit we're, would we're be all, the favorite. We're all high on Detroit and I and look, I, I have nothing against Detroit. But how much of that is real? Like how much of that is real, do you think? The offense is the defense is putrid. Yeah, but it's gonna get better, I would imagine. They have some guys. You get Okuda right at the corner spot. You could have one, you know, potential shutdown guy. Tracy Walker missed most of the season. UL Cajun, who's been pretty good when he's been healthy. They have a few pieces, and obviously they'll have to go, they'll have to improve it. They'll have to hit on a couple of draft picks and maybe bring in some free agents. But I think they're a lot closer than Green Bay is. Green Bay, that offense. They do, weren't do good, you, and Rodgers was holding it together with well, what he had left. But and he I mean, wasn't great either. But it's not that. My, my thought is Jordan Love will not have to play that great to get to the level that the offense was last year because it wasn't that good. Yeah, that's and fair, if they but, run the ball and play defense, I don't know. I'm not saying I'm sold on. I just an interesting. Question. Yeah, I it, it would maybe be one of the most up in the air divisions right there with the NFC South heading into the season. You certainly wouldn't you know, give it to anybody to start the year. All right, so you already told me your answer to this question, but my question was going to be, if not Derek Carr and you can't say Crawfish, who would it be? So your answer really is... Well, it's Jimmy G Baker over Mayfield. Ba- I'll take Jimmy G, but I no, don't... No, 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 not who you would want. Who do you think it's going to be? Because well, I don't think Jimmy G's coming to New Orleans. I just don't think that's happening. I don't... The only reason I... Th- that the Baker Mayfield thinks gaining traction is because of the report yesterday, which, again, those reports are going to be coming out for the next month about who likes who and this and that. And that guy, like I already ranted about on RP3, there was a report that the Saints front office was high on Baker Mayfield in the year he was drafted so that they would be interested. I said, he was the number one pick in the draft. It wasn't like other teams weren't high on him. High on him? He was the Heisman Trophy winner. He I don't, was a third or fourth round talent. I'm not saying I look. I was not high on him back then either. I, I didn't think he was the guy that Baker everyone was Mayfield. saying he was. But he was by you know NFL executives that get paid a lot more than we do made the decision to take him number one over every other player in the whole draft. So somebody liked him, and I I didn't think he was going to be. Does anybody know that quarterback is a leadership position? Yeah, it is. All right, so what's your answer to your question? Who do you think, it, what would be your best guess that he would actually think it would be? The most realistic, if we're just saying who, if I had to make a bet on who I thought it would be, probably Andy Dalton coming back would probably be the oh, most realistic. No, but realistic. that's not the question. You, Andy Craw, it, it so can't not be Crawfish. Him. Then the only thing I have to go on is the report yesterday that they'd be interested in Baker. So I guess I'd. Pick yeah, but him. do we do we know that or just no, someone don't. said that? That was a it was a report from based on that they liked him four years ago. Yeah, but I'm saying we don't. Who are they tied to otherwise? Bridgewater, they have a history with, but again, we we kind of said that we he's doubt it. Really slipped. Yeah, he's so. Oh, they keep telling me Zach Wilson. Like, there's no way Zach. I don't. Won. I know. I know you. But you like Baker s- Mayfield and Zach Wilson. I don't like them. I said they're better than other options, which doesn't say much. I'm saying, but. I don't see the Zach Wilson thing being anywhere near as realistic as other people have said. Like that's you'd have to trade for him, and I don't think they're going to trade for him. Well, I certainly hope not. I don't think they would, and that's. But but again, I think it. This discussion shows how important it is that they get Derek Derek Carr because, like, seriously, 
who are they going to get? Well, right. Baker Mayfield. Like, look, I've had to put a, I've been very patient. I've, this the last three or four years have been just torture. Torture. And, and, and I just well, I'll bring I'll bring this up. Just pl- not not Baker Mayfield, a guy who I would take over any basically anybody but Carr. If I was making the decision, would just be to run it back with Taysom, put him back there. He he threw the ball well when he threw it this year. And again, I'm not. I don't think that turns you into a contender. I don't really think Taysom will ever be a top ten quarterback in the league or anything like that. But he's a guy who you're already paying. You wouldn't have to use assets to go get and has shown you that he's improved as a passer, and then you can run a really unique offense similar to what Philadelphia did with Jalen Hurts this season, and maybe you maybe you catch something there. But again, can the does – I mean, I would rather that than Baker Mayfield, to be honest with you. Now I would too. Now. I just don't think they're going to do I don't it. know if the head coach and the OC believe in that. Like, like I think if Casper was still here, he'd be willing to do it. It feels like – if they thought of that as a realistic opportunity, they would have at, there would have at least been rumors of it maybe happening last season when things were going south, and it was never even brought up. So that, to me, seems yeah, I don't think to they think believe that they in won't that for it. whatever reason. All right. If Bajan Robinson is available, which I think is a pipe dream, but people keep mocking him, is there anyone else, and I know you probably haven't studied it that much, but in your mind right now on you know February the 14th, is there anyone else you would pick above him in that spot? Any position? Any player? I think the defensive tackles make sense. And if you can get the top one or the top one of the, one of your guys that they really like, I think it's more of a need. I don't always love drafting based on need, but at the end of the day, sometimes you have to. So, yeah, it would be between someone like him and, and one of the defensive tackles. The other, I do think you can get – I'd like their chances more of, of getting a really solid running back in rounds three to seven than I would them getting a defensive tackle in rounds three to seven, just from usually the volume of guys out there and the way they fall. Well, yeah, you can get Isaiah Pacheco in the exactly. sixth round. So oh. I would probably rather them get one of the best tackles because that's you've got to find a way to stop the run inside. That was just a huge problem for most of the year. Yes, and... Again, I still don't know how they they they, they held the cheaters to under a hundred yards rushing. The Saints own what you call it, by the way. You go ask that guy who the best defenses in the league are, McCaffrey. Go ask that guy who the best defenses in the league are. I guarantee he says the Saints in the top two or three. Like they, the Saints have owned that guy. But um, I don't know. Um, It'd be hard to pass him up, but yeah, picking a running back. Again, the Isaiah Pachecos of the world just tell you that you can get that guy to really be a functional member of your team. It's hard. It'll be hard to pick a defensive tackle in round five or six and that guy really impact your team. I mean, it's not impossible, but probably it's not going to happen. So, although it would be hard to pass. Like, if you draft... Bajan Robinson, then does that mean you really need to trade 41 or you just keep both? You don't have to, but you probably answer the phone a lot quicker. And if the offers get serious, we also have to remember he's he's maybe going to face suspension this year. We still don't know about that. So 
Yeah, I would wonder how he would feel about them taking Bijan Robinson and if they would take into account what he would think about it. Maybe he would enjoy the fact that he wouldn't have to carry the ball 30 times a game up the middle. Well, he certainly doesn't seem to like to run the ball very often because he doesn't run very hard very often, in my opinion. But, um, no, I I would – they need both, and I think – the fact that there's the suspension, if they keep 41, the suspension is looming, might increase their chance of picking a, a running back. All right, the last question, and this is, you know, we've had a lot of time to think about that. Why really, what really do you think Mark Ingram was thinking when he ran out of bounds in Tampa short of the first down? What was he thinking? What really do you think he was thinking? I do not know. I think maybe he was thinking that he was hurt and he didn't want to. I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough one. So I know he, what I was thinking, but I don't know what he. Was so thinking. he has zero instincts. Like he just cratered and just said, even though I've been playing running back at a theoretically reasonably high level for the last sixteen years or fifteen years or whatever, going back to high school even longer, my instinct is to just crater and fall. I mean. How could that be? Like, it's not like he's some finesse running back. You know what I'm saying? It just, I, 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 I never will be able to rectify this in my mind. I don't know. What was he doing? I, I just, I just will never. It's like, it will, it will, it. It you know it just you know some things you understand like some people I talk about we talked about it yesterday some people really struggle with the the call in the in the in the in the NFC Championship game I understand why that happened I'm totally understand why it happened now I'm still angry that the NFL won't do anything about it but I understand why it happened but this is just I'll never get over it. All right, we'll take a break and come back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on... The game hotline, 706-111. No, 706-0111. Let me get that right. 706-0111. People are throwing, I get up and they're throwing spoiled brats at me. Zach Wilson, spoiled brat. Baker Mayfield, spoiled brat. And they want that to be the leader of my football team. I mean, we understand that Demario Davis and um, Cameron Jordan are the leaders of the football team. We get that, but but still, I mean, quarterback is a leadership position. I'm not. Again, they're not my first choices. They're not my second choices, and I'm not advocating advocating for the Saints to go up and give stuff away to get them anything like that. But at least. 
both of them have been in situations now where, in theory, they should be pretty humbled to be hopefully getting their second, third chances in the league. And they're not in the position they were in when they came in as top five draft picks and thought of the world of themselves. So, ideally, you'll be getting some more mature guys. Now, as I already talked about on RP3, any of these quarterbacks where it would be kind of this, you know, revitalization project where you're trying to fix their careers, I would feel a lot better if we had an offensive staff that I believed in to help those guys along with that process. I don't know if the Saints have that, so I don't feel really good about it. I don't even feel great about Derek Carr for for that reason. All right, so in other words, because this doesn't happen every year, but the Geno Smith example... Is got it's got to be in minds of general managers across the, the the league. Like everyone thought this guy was just terrible and he actually was pretty good on a team that everyone was picking last in that division. With everyone. A, with a defensive minded head coach too. It's not like he had this, you know And he had a terrible defense to work with. I mean, they made the Saints offense look really explosive. So he had no defense. And in a transition year, everybody thought they were terrible, and they, you know, they were had a winning season. I mean, he did, and he had some really nice moments. So, if you were going to name the most likely candidate to be this year's Geno Smith, who would that be? Well, if you're counting, are you counting? I'm assuming you're not counting Derek Carr in that conversation, then, or are you? Well, no, I, Derek Carr was right. Was never considered a bust. I mean, he's not elite, but no right. one ever thought he would. So bust. if you get past those first two tiers, probably, I mean, maybe, maybe you'd consider Sam Darnold over, over a guy like Baker or a guy like, um, you know, one of those guys, maybe Sam Darnold would be the one who's got the most potential because he, he showed a little bit at the end of last season. Um, but that's another one too, where it's, it's like, there's a pretty good chance he's back in Carolina, I would assume. But if Carolina is able to go out and get Derek Carr or Jimmy G, one of the other guys, then Darnold becomes an option for other teams. So I would also put, if we're back to these Saints options, I guess I'd rather Sam Darnold than Baker Mayfield. I don't know. It's it's it's. I don't really want either one of them, like I said. But I, would, I wasn't high on either one of those. That's, again, to do all that losing and picking the top five and you're drafting Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. Just Awful. That's why it's just all that rookie quad. You know, he doesn't really fit the criteria, but Jordan Love might be that guy. And not that he's really played, like Gino played at least a little bit, and in, in, in our assessment was that he was a bust. Jordan's played a little bit, but a really little bit. So, but still, he's been in the league for several years, and our opinion of him is pretty low, you know, as a first round draft pick. He might be the answer, or let's put it this way: the Packer fans hope he's the answer to to that. <sighs> you know, we the always funny- talk about copycat league, and so I think people are going to try to. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's funny too. You know, Geno Smith probably has some good friends now in Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold because those guys are going to get paid now by somebody. Now, not that they wouldn't have anyway, because again, there's 32 jobs and there's just not that many committed quarterbacks right now, so they were going to get paid regardless. But Geno Smith, the idea of what he can be might make those guys some more money in the offseason now with the idea of, well, maybe we can find the next, you know, guy who turns his career around with us. The funny thing is I've seen I've heard rumors of now it's 
now it's trending towards Seattle resigning him, but there's like this talk of Seattle maybe not going. It's like what, what would they? What would their idea be of not going with Geno Smith? They really think they're going to do oh, that I don't again? That. Yeah, I don't. I don't so yeah, I, I think they go back to Geno and. Again, I, I think a lot of these guys end up where they are right now. Sam Darnold, I think, probably ends up back in Carolina. like Because, again, these teams might take a lookout in free agency, but, again, there's just not that many options this year. It's not a it's not a year where you're going to land. Well, there. and especially since everything that's happened uh, in Cheaterville. Like, I, I mean, a lot of people were speculating that Trey Lance was going to go to Tennessee or somewhere else in a trade maybe, but they're not. that's not happening. And, you know. Well, so that's another name I'll ask you about. If if Tennessee decides to move on, what about Ryan Tannehill? He looked terrible. Why was he so bad last year? Well, they didn't have any rec- – they traded away his only receivers, so that didn't help. I, I'd rather Ryan Tannehill than, than Baker Mayfield. I, I, I just – at least he's a mature individual. I mean, you know. But I'm not real high on him, but I'd rather – but again, is Ryan Tan? Well, Ryan can run at least a little bit. Like he's not Batman, but he can run. I mean, I I was gonna say, is he even an upgrade over Crawfish? He probably is a slight upgrade. At least he can run. I I don't think there's very many NFL quarterbacks that aren't an upgrade over Andy Dalton. I really mean that. Look, five years ago. Andy Dalton, I think, had some football left in him. He's a guy, he has not aged particularly well. The arm strength is down. Like, I just don't see really any reason to well, run it back with him. And Well, I, look, I don't want him to be the quarterback. I didn't want him to be the quarterback this year. You know, I I, I, I didn't want any I, – I was hoping he wouldn't take a single snap. But he did play better than I thought that he would play. Like, he didn't play great, but he – you know – I don't really think he's the reason the Saints didn't make the playoffs. They didn't make the playoffs because 41 and 22 fumbled and 22 doesn't know where the first down marker is. And we got a kicker that can't make a kick. Like, if the, if the kicker makes kicks, if 41 and 22 don't fumble, which they never done that in their – well, 22's fumbled a little bit. I mean, even with that crawfish at quarterback, who drives me crazier, I wouldn't nickname him crawfish. They still win 10 games and, and, and win the division and make the playoffs. Yeah, I just... Just can't fumble the football. The problem I have with Andy coming back is that, again, like I said before, when a guy's been in the league as long as he has, like you fully know exactly what you have in him. And, again, he's not the worst quarterback in the league, so I, I know I'm kind of piling on Andy Dalton today. I don't want to say that he's not horrible. Oh, I don't want him, but I'd, I'd take him over Baker Mayfield for, for two reasons. One, Baker Mayfield's a small brat and one of the biggest punks ever. And two, now then you, then you got to go through the transition of a new quarterback and all that, and and, and there's no upside with him. Well, he's that's what terrible. I was going to argue. There is upside oh, because no, the guy still, no at the end of the day, was picked first in the draft, that won the Heisman he's Trophy, Sam plays, not good, and he's took like, the Browns to an 11-5 and five season, no, won not. a playoff game. The defense, they won the playoff game. They got like 75 turnovers in that game. The defense did all that. He, he didn't do it. They ran the ball incredibly. He was along for the ride. He, got, he gets way too much credit for that playoff victory. They had the defense forced like five or six turnovers, and they ran the ball great. Like, what did he, he had very little to do with that. 
I'm just saying he's shown you. Andy Dalton has never been the reason for his team's success either, but that's what you were banking on with what he did last year. He, when we won games with Andy Dalton, it wasn't because of him. The games where the offense put up numbers was because they were losing by 45 points to Arizona at halftime and had to throw the ball the whole second half. So I don't know. I just... Again, there's there's not a whole lot of good options. We're talking about, like, get, now, whoever we get's between 20 and 40 as far as the best quarterbacks in right. the league, with the exception the, the, of maybe the, Carr. The, the moral of this conversation we're having is they need to sign Derek Carr. Okay, that, that is the moral of this story. Now, speaking of that... I don't know why, but I, I guess I, I, I'm not – I've always said I'm not a good sports lawyer. So all the technicalities and all, I don't really – I'm not real up on all that. But apparently we're not going to have to wait a month is what I keep hearing. Like Derek Carr is a free agent, but he's not. So, like, my understanding is now is that we're not going to have to wait. Like, he could, they could sign him next week. Yeah, I think that's correct. Which I don't know. I if don't it's, quite understand all of yeah, that. I haven't it's looked because into it he doesn't. In other words, he doesn't have an expiring contract that expires at, at the, the end of the, the whatever NFL mm-hmm. business year or the whatever cat, they yeah, call the it. Year. You know, um, on in the middle of March. So he's he's cut loose. Like he's a he's a free agent but he's like a different kind of a free agent in that he doesn't have a contract his contract isn't expiring in March he just doesn't have one and so you know if there's somebody off the street right now who didn't have a contract like like this guy Kelly speaking of I don't know if he's a small brat but he's like a deranged person the old miss quarterback yeah yeah I don't, I- is like there, he he wants back in the NFL, but like he doesn't have a contract, so he could be signed today. Yeah, yeah. Look, I I agree. You need to do everything you can to get Derek Carr. I'm just saying, from the way it feels to me right now, with the way the situation is, I don't have much confidence that they'll get him. I really don't. I think somebody else is going to come in with a way bigger offer, and I just don't. I don't feel like they're going to get him, but I hope they do. Remember the Saints with worst cap situation they have now. We're all in on Deshaun Watson. They were all in on Deshaun Watson. And he wasn't going to be making 20-something million. Well, another thing then that I guess I shouldn't bring up because I don't know the answer with the way the league and the contracts work is are the Saints allowed to do all their back-end manipulation of their contract system before the league year ends, whereas if Carr decides he wants to sign next week, are the Saints not in position yet to make the biggest offer they can make? Well, but they can make the offer and he not make that much. He get they pay him up, they pay him a bonus up front. He not not make that much money at all the first year of the contract. Not that dissimilar from what they did with Deshaun Watson for different reasons and just and just make him give him all the money later down the road in the contract. I hope they get it done. I don't feel like I don't feel confident that they he's, will. He's throwing all this negativity at me. All right, we're overdue uh, for a break. We'll take it and be back, UL. Men's basketball coach Bob Moreland next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 
1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us UL men's basketball coach Bob Marlin. How are you, sir? Doing great, Kevin. How are you? Hanging in there, looking forward. I, you know, after the Super Bowl, I guess I start looking forward to baseball season. I know you're really busy with basketball season, but I kind of started to think about that yesterday for the first time. Yeah, I've looked at a couple of spring training notes as well, as pitchers and catchers have already reported. So, right there with you. It's closer than we're thinking. All right, so, you know, I try to figure things out. Um, I you know, sometimes in the sport of football, it's really as simple as do you turn over the football or do you not turn over the football? Now, as simple as that sounds, there are reasons sometimes why you turn over the football or why you don't turn over the football. And I guess the basketball side of that is it's as simple as I still think back to two years ago or three years ago or four years ago and, and people say, well, why, are, why didn't you win this game? And, and your answer was we didn't make enough shots. Like you got to make shots. But there's a reason sometimes, I guess, why you make shots or don't make shots. Yeah, we, sometimes it just happens. We've shot the ball extremely well all year, Kevin, and uh, ranked in the top 10 just a week ago in three-point percentage and in field goal percentage. And both our, our forwards and our guards have done a really good job shooting the basketball. So uh, when we don't shoot a great percentage like we did these two games, they were, they were our first and third worst shooting percentage out of 26 games, you're going to have to do something else extraordinarily well. And, and uh, we didn't. And our defense – wasn't enough to to help us win those two games this weekend. So, you know, I remember watching on TV the the first game with ULM, and it seemed like, you know, they just shot a bunch of threes and they didn't hit a whole lot of them, and y'all did a great job, uh, you know, in a lot of different areas. What do you remember from that game and and kind of and then you know as far as and then what you expect from this one well they uh, played us tough they were having a are having a good year they were picked at the bottom of the league and and uh they're in the middle of the league and still fighting and they lost a couple of guys to injury back right before conference but they played better basketball kevin the last two months but we Got on them early up there. I think we scored six of our first seven, hit six of our first seven shots. So there you go, and uh, stopped them. And we had a twenty-one to four lead, uh, and then got a little bit like a days ago with the ball in the second half, and just kind of played even. So we'll expect the same type game here. They're going to come in, and it'll be a forty-minute game, I'm sure. All right, so. <clears throat> You know, even when y'all were on a 10-game winning streak, I'm sure you preached to the players, look, we've got to – we can't worry about that. we got to worry about the next game. And now that you're on a two-game losing streak, it's probably a similar type message, right? It's just from the other side. Yeah, we've done it. Done it twice already. And we won our first five games and lost at Drake. Did not shoot the ball well there either. Um, And then – we went five more in a row and then lose to Texas and also to Coastal. And 
Old Dominion to start the conference play, but we, we've done it before. We know what to do. We don't focus on the 10. We don't focus on the 2. We focus on where our feet are today, and that's going to be an occasion on the 3 o'clock. So what, um, you know, Dawson and I have been talking for a couple of weeks how, you know, the, the potential trickiness of this schedule that's facing you this week in that, you know, you're going to be at home and then two days later uh, you're going to be up in Virginia. It, it, are we making too much of that or is that a real travel concern? Well, it could be, but we knew the schedule, Kevin, at the beginning of the year. And if you remember, uh, old, excuse me, James Madison and us both started with six of eight on the road. We were the only two teams that got that honor. And we had a four-game home streak, which we won. And now James Madison finishes four games in a row at home. Uh, but they're against quality people so uh, and people that we're in contention with. But you can't make too much of the travel. We The conference gave everyone a split weekend, and playing here and then going all the way to Virginia, that's tough. But uh, we're going to charter a flight, and it'll be the first charter since I've been at UL. So I'm excited about that, and that's going to help give us a chance to win that game. Is it po- – like – is it possible? I heard you mention it in, in yesterday's weekly presser. Is it possible to for the league to ever even think about doing a Wednesday, Saturday where you only have one game, or is that not um, just you know logistically feasible? No, it's uh, something we've discussed the coaches and the conference, and we're actually working on schedule for next year already. Uh, and coaches have had a couple of meetings with Kathy Keene from the Sun Belt, just trying to get everything in order. Uh, but this, it could happen, Kevin, and it would help to some degree, although it takes you away in the middle of the week. But in, on this split weekend, it's definitely something that we want to do. Uh, you know, every, again, everyone has a split weekend. Ours uh, is at home against Monroe, and then two days later, we have to play in Virginia. But then you look at Southern Miss's split weekend, they play at Mobile tonight, or Thursday, Kevin, and then play at home on Saturday. Right. So a little, a little different, you know. Yeah, not – but in other words, what you're saying, everything else could be the same, but on your split weekend, you play Wednesday, Saturday, as opposed to Thursday, Saturday. That would make sense. I mean, it's it can't – it's not that dramatic of a change just for one week. No, we don't think it is. And I, I think the, the women's teams are going through the same thing, Kevin. So it's something that will probably come into play. I think we've never had 14 teams before. It's the most we've ever had. I think this is the best the league's been in a long time. And uh, because of the new teams, scheduling is always a challenge. The additional teams, I should say. So it's something that we're working on and fine-tuning, and, and I think we're making good progress. All right, so getting back to the actual court, is the biggest thing like getting back to going through Jordan and everything, or is it not that simple? Yeah, no, I mean, we just need to play the way we need to play it. It's more on a defensive end for us, Kevin. I think we didn't shoot the ball well, and I think that was magnified by our poor defense and vice versa because they both play off each other. We try to play great defense, score off our defense. Uh, we're not blocking as many shots this year as we did a year ago. 
uh, and that's really because of one guy. But we we tried to ignite our offense through our defense and, and get some transition opportunities, and we didn't get any of those at, at Troy or Southern Miss, really. All right, Coach, we look forward to seeing you all again uh, on Thursday night. Hopefully you can end the losing streak. We appreciate your time. Good luck to you. Thanks, Kevin. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. King cake season is here, and break rooms are being filled with those delicious sugar-coated pastries. That is so sweet. Just don't be the guy or gal who gets the plastic baby and lies about it. Come on. Come on, really. Step up and do the right thing, cheapskate, and buy the next cake. Cake and need it too, Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Well, that depends on the subject. Like, you may be right about some things, but about Aiding the runner, I'm not going to say you may you may be right because we're going to disagree on that subject. Mr. Rugby over here. <laughs> he just shakes his head. Stop. <laughs> All right. That's okay. We can disagree. All right. I, I want to – I um, I hear coaches talk about defense a lot. Coach Marlin was just talking about defense. And I do think that sometimes, and I think fairly often – we say, well, we played great defense. And and I'm not saying you didn't do what you were coached. Like, like sometimes I think you can do ex- defensively exactly what your coach should do. Doesn't mean the guy's not going to miss make the shot. Like, you can play good defense and a guy hit a three-pointer, and that doesn't mean you played bad defense. And it doesn't mean you played great defense if he's wide open and he just happens to miss it. Like, sometimes the other team just makes shots. Like, this cat, um, Hase for Southern Miss, he was like 3-for-10 in the first meeting. He he, he didn't make – he missed a bunch of easy shots. Now, I don't know that – you say, well, they played great defense. Well, I think they did fine, but he missed a bunch of easy shots that just kept going in and out. And, like, in the first half in Hattiesburg, he didn't score any points. He was 0-for-4, and, like, three of them were easy shots that – should have went in. They just rattled out. And they didn't go in. So does that mean they were playing great defense? No, I I think sometimes defense is can be un- overrated or underrated because it's so dependent on if the other team just makes shots. Yeah, I I could see that, but I thought there was a definitive difference in their quality of defense in the second half against Southern Miss because at least in the first half when Hase was missing shots, there was defenders in the area. But then he started, which credit to him, he started being a little more patient with his shot fakes and stuff. But like Joe Charles and some of those guys who have been great defensively all year were just getting out of position. I mean, missing a couple of rotations where they had, like, there's a difference too. And I know what you're talking about because we've sat, you know, when we're covering games and watched guys just, I mean, especially Marshall that game. They Marshall missed, missed they said they played great looks. defense, but Marshall missed a ton of layups. But I also think there's a difference between contested layups that are still fairly easy shots that guys miss, and then That's fair. That's fair. there was a couple 
not a couple, a lot of just blown assignment defensive plays against Southern Miss, and it looked like it carried over against Troy. Again, though, like Troy has a guy who shoots 25% from three. He made like five of seven off the bench and scored 26 points the other night. Like, at, at some point, that's just, yeah, you're going to let him shoot because yeah. he's a 25% shooter and he made shots. So that part I don't blame on them. But then, yeah, I mean, some of it certainly they didn't play as well as they could have. Now, something um, Coach Marlin mentioned in yesterday's presser is that he thought they were a step slow, like they were stepping in like in mud or something, some statement like that. Um, you know, I guess fatigue – is you know can, can can be an issue i mean yeah and i thought that's again it's it can be done like feeding off of an a, an opponent's crowd's energy but it's a lot more difficult and i you thought southern mist looked like they just had more bounce they had more energy which is again the same way on the other hand that ul looked against marshall they looked like the more energetic fired up team i did think i thought the guards specifically trying to defend in the second half the kid Alvarez, who came off the bench for Southern Miss, like oh, he played just, great, and they and he looked like he was just in a different gear. It just didn't look like and and Themis, as great as he was defensively against Marshall, just struggled in the Southern Miss and the Troy game. So that again, that's the type of thing though. You talk about fatigue. If you want to do what you want to accomplish, you got to win three games in three days in Pensacola. So you're going to have to find a way to play through fatigue, which they've done at times this year because they've won, they've swept road trips before and stuff, but. Yeah, it's going to be tough. It's interesting to hear that they actually did change the approach with the JMU trip, that they're getting a charter flight, and there's a couple of different things he's talking about travel-wise. They're going to be there earlier than they usually would be. So that's good to hear. And, you know, obviously we we sat there and said this is, you know, the scheduling is tough. And so they took that into account and maybe ch- made some changes. So. And there was a trip earlier this year, maybe it was the JMU one, and it didn't work. Which one was it? Old Dominion, you mean? No, no, with the women where they oh, took okay. – he said – Coach Broadhead said that was their first charter trip. It happened like two weeks ago or whenever it was. Um, and so it, it makes it more doable is the point because you're not spending all day traveling, which, again, you know, it shouldn't be as difficult for a young athlete than an old fat guy like me, but it does wear on you when, when you travel. So And when – Again, when you're comparing it to who they're facing, and that team, you know, has not had to travel at all. Which again, that's what I originally thought. At least JMU would also have a split week, but they don't. They have two home games, so it's really it's a double edged sword. There, it's NFL style schedule. It was tough. Like, whatever yeah. you can do to make it unfair, that's what the NFL, you know, really focuses on. And uh, I was an NFL model for scheduling. No, 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 no question there. All right, so um, to be honest. I've been trying to get some um, UL baseball interviews for a couple weeks. It hasn't transpired yet, and hopefully uh, we can do that, you know, if not this week, for next week. So the season starts in three days, and we've talked very little UL baseball because of that. But so, in, you know, we're about to get to the top of the hour. I want to do some of that on on um, in the next – on top of the, the next segment. I – we had some interesting comments, developments, whatever you want to call it, in yesterday's presser with Coach Deggs. And so I want to talk about that. And, and you know, it's a new season, a um, lot of high hopes, and, and yet a lot of question marks. And 
maybe a little more movement now than what we thought was going to be with the everyday lineup. And so um, hope to analyze that a little bit and we'll certainly, and then we'll talk a little softball. Um, you know, they're going to be doing a lot of traveling, so we're not going to, we'll wait until, we're not going to be talking to Coach Glasgow this week because like the last couple of weeks we got him on Thursday. Well, he's not even – they're going to be playing Thursday and traveling all day tomorrow. So it's, it's a pretty complicated schedule, and it's going to be a while before they're even back home. And so um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk we'll – get some impressions from the first weekend from Bobby. Uh, so we'll do that then. That's it for the first hour, another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3133. On LUS Fiber, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111 if you would like to get in. Now's a good time to do it. We'll be talking to Bobby Nuva about Cajun softball in the next segment. And after that, we'll have open phone lines for a couple segments. For most of the hour, if you would like to get in, talk about quarterbacks, talking about college baseball, college basketball. Uh, if you still have any thoughts about the Super Bowl, certainly feel free to do that as well, whatever you would like. Um, I uh, We hadn't mentioned it yet, but, man, they – Yesterday, Major League ba- Baseball, they 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 passed. They said last year that they weren't doing it anymore, and so yesterday they passed this rule where we're going to have this stupid runner at second base in extra innings again. I'm like, why? I don't mind it. There's 162 games. We can get a few of them over with quicker. I don't mind it at all. I know why they're trying to save their bullpens, and, and it does mess you up when you have a 16 inning game. But um, it's just like it just seems so cheesy while you're going to it. You know, it's like you know, it's like listening to some bubblegum music and you just feel guilty. It's like turn the channel. You know, that's it's kind of the feeling I get. My teeth start to hurt when they start when they man's out that second base in t- in the tenth inning. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Kevin, you know, I know you're going to talk to Bobby, but I did a little research, and I just wanted to see all these four good teams, the real good teams we're playing in that in that uh, tournament this weekend, Oklahoma State, Arkansas, UCLA, and Florida State. And I wanted to see what their their, their number one pitchers, what they were, what, how good they were. Well, <laughs> well, I shouldn't have done that, Kevin. <laughs> you know, all four of them have two things in common. They All four of them are five-year seniors, and all four of them are were the pitchers of the year in their conference. We're talking the SEC pitch of the year, the ACC pitch of the year, the Big 12 pitch of the year, and the Pac-12 pitch of the year. And two of them were first-team All-American last year, and one of them is widely known as the best pitcher in America. Now, that got me depressed. <laughs> well, first of all, a couple comments to that. First of all, that's why you're going there. Second of all, it's not a guarantee 
that you're going to face those pitchers because the Cajuns are not like the number one priority for these teams. Like, I'm sure if you're Florida State, you might be using your – I don't know when they would play like UCLA, but they probably would save their ace for UCLA over the Cajuns. At least that's what you can hope for. Well, I, I well I, I kind of listened to that because that's what I was thinking too. Like when we play Oklahoma State, but they play Thursday one game, uh, one th- one game Thursday, one game Friday, just like we do. But Saturday they play two games, and they bring us in Michigan that day. Well, Michigan's in a, a, a transition year this year, but they lost their coach, so Michigan's really not that good this year. So they're probably going to have that Maxwell girl, the best pitcher in the country, against us. That one ain't going to be too good. UCLA, we played them. That's the only game that day. UCLA plays, so we're probably going to uh, go against Paramo. So, you know, thanks, thanks a lot. You know, let me tell you how good the UCLA pitcher is. She's fixing to break all Lisa Fernandez's records over there. I thought you knew who Lisa Fernandez is, huh? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, all right. Look, UCLA's so, uh, always great in softball. So, I mean, I still got nightmares. Remember that year that the Cajuns went out there? They just got Pounded in that super regional, just oh, nine to nothing and nine oh. to one. That's what it was. Oh yeah, it was just like, man. I, I no, I don't, I don't. You know, you n- never look forward to playing UCLA in softball. No. Hey, look, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if Bobby knows or you heard in the presser. But Maya Davis, what's up with her? Wait, say that again. Maya Davis, uh, the, the Cajun center field. Yeah, Maya, um, you know, I, what I was a little worried about when I saw her with the sling and a little cast on her hand, she got hit with a pitch in the first game and she did not return. And so they have, she has what they're calling a hand injury. Yesterday, Coach Glasgow said about a month they're hoping. And what I was worried about is they were going to have to, and they still may have to do it, who knows, make the tough decision. Do you redshirt? Do you not redshirt? It sounds like she's wanting to run like, well, she wouldn't play defense or hit, but she could still run because her number one skill is speed. And so um, I don't think he wants her to get injured. But he also, as a young player, he wants to keep her involved and not get maybe too down because, you know, you you get all hyped up and then you get hurt in the very first game. I can mess with you. I don't I don't know the young lady. You know, some people handle that stuff better than others. But so I don't know. We'll see. I think right now he's having to decide whether he's going to try to run or is that worth the risk right now? All right. All right. Have a good one. Thanks. Hopefully she's out, you know. No more than a month, but you never know about that stuff. Yeah, I mean, like what he was saying, that's that's exactly why you're going to this tournament, though. I mean, that's is to face, you know, some of the best pitching you're going to face all year. And, yeah, Florida State, again, I'll, I'll give what I know there because I followed them pretty close, you know, last year being there. But Kat Sandercock is their ace, and, yeah, she's, she's legit, and she's back for, I think it's her senior year now. And, I mean, she's going to be one of the best pitchers in the country. Now they are they lost their number two last year, so they're kind of right now trying to figure out who that's going to be. So maybe there's a chance that you're going to face one of the girls that they're you know trying to figure in as who their number two will be. But either way, you're going to have to play really well to beat any of these teams. Now, Florida State lost a game to Longwood in their first series, which was not expected. So you have a shot to win these games and and make a statement. And if you're going to be that team at the end of the year, then we'll probably see something you know pretty impressive this week. But again, you're not going to win all these games. I would, you know, <clears throat> right. So we'll see what happens. You need to win at least two, hopefully three. You know, that would be the goal. If you could win at least two, and if you went to three, then 
you know, anything more than that is just tremendous. So, yeah. All right, Cajun baseball. I mean, what's with third base at this university between baseball and softball? It's like it's the hot corner on a lot of different levels. Like, this year still one of the major question marks for softball. Who's going to end up playing third base? And it sounds like it's going to be a little bit of a rotation. Well, we've been hearing, or at least my understanding was, that it was going to be a platoon between Peyton Lejeune, former Turlings Catholic, all-state pitcher, shortstop, who played at LSUE, and John Taylor, who was a um, uh, junior college player from Yavapai. Um, <clears throat> both juniors, both junior college players, both guys who can hit a little bit and really good fielding. And so now, yesterday, Coach Degg says... It, it looked like Max Morshock was moving from center field to second base. Now he might be – it sounds like he's, he's going to start the year anywhere at third base. Now, anybody who's followed Coach Deggs' career is, and the Cajuns even did it quite a bit last year, is within even innings he will move the second baseman and third baseman. Like he'll move the second base Scores and third nightmare. base. Yeah. Um, and so he's – you know, because it might happen a week or whatever, but – and yesterday's presser, you know, I, I'm thinking, again, he obviously knows way more about his players than I do. I mean, and so I'm just trying to figure out Max's number one ability is speed. Can you use your speed more at third? Because my impression is third base is more of a reactionary position, and you can use your speed for up the middle and pop-ups and stuff more at second, but whatever. Uh, look, if it works, it works. It was funny because yesterday he kind of looked when I was questioning him. He was looking at me like, essentially, what he said was, "You you doubted me on TR because I'm, when he moved Tyler Robinson from center to third, I was like, you know, kind of gave him that. Are you sure? Like, and it worked out pretty well. So he's like, uh, you doubted me on TR. Just wait and see. And so, um, look. I guess it doesn't really matter if they're playing second or third, you know, the platoon there. Uh, and and who knows if it's even going to be a platoon. So we'll see. Because first base is also a question mark for baseball. I mean, you know, you, you have like C.J. Willis, who's kind of a Mr. Play everywhere if he hits. You've got guys like um, – you know, a new guy like a Zam uh, Zambo, who's a young player, was more of a traditional first baseman, and then you have other guys who are like DHs, who could play for. We always say, "Well, he can hit, he can DH, he can just play first base." Well, not really. Like his best defensive first baseman is Rockefort in center right. field, and so. Who's going to end up playing first might have to do with the hitting, but there's also the defensive side of it. So I don't know. It would not shock me based on what he said yesterday if one of but of the platoon that's not that we're thinking might be at second, one of those might play first base. Maybe Lejeune or Taylor could play first base. So. Yeah, well, I was also wondering if the move to bring Marshak to the infield at all was just a sign that they needed to find he's the guy who they feel pretty confident can play anywhere and they needed to open up an outfield spot. But if if Rocco's going to go back and play, you know, because he was playing mostly first base down the stretch last year. So 
No, they're they're thinking he's playing center field. So if he goes back to center, yeah, then that kind of then that kind of defeats that. So I don't know, maybe maybe Marshak just proved to be the better defensive. Also, Deggs has kind of put his better defensive players at third, the guys that he just trusts more. And when he's done that whole third base, second base swap, it's always been putting the better defender at second when the lefty was up. Right. So maybe he just likes Marshak's defense overall better and just feels like he's going to put him there. I don't know. You know, the other wild card here is Trailer Floor. Like, he's a guy, he's a transfer, he got a few at-bats, hit a couple of long home runs last year. Supposedly, he's, he's dealt with injuries his whole career. So supposedly, he's healthy. You know, he signed with Ole Miss, and it didn't really work out, and he transferred here. And again, he had some moments last season. If he's healthy and he hits, you got to play him somewhere. You would think you'd want his bat in the lineup. I don't know enough about him as far as where he is defensively. I haven't seen. But you see another one, you know, You've got other guys like a Will Veon who's probably going to have to play DH. I don't know how much, uh, you know, th- there's a log jam in the outfield. Because Hood's, Hood's going to play right field, right? You would think. I mean, I guess he could play left, but he played yeah. right last year. And then you've got Higgs, who they like, and and you've got two freshmen that they like in Caleb Stelly and Luke, Luke Newhouse. So, I don't, you know, you never know how much of a, how much a freshman is going to play. But they're high on Higgs, um, you know. I, I don't know. We'll see how it all plays out. There's You want more good players than positions, but if you have that, it makes it a little tricky. And so, you know, all eyes are going to be on Max Marshak and how he plays at third base for sure. Now, I interviewed Max on Media Day, and he said he's played a bu- multiple. He played shortstop even in high school. In fact, Coach Degg said yesterday that, um, you know, we don't, Hopefully, Kyle DeBarge catches every game. I mean, plays shortstop every game for the Cajuns. But if not, he might move Max here. That's how much confidence he has in him. You know, I'll, we'll wait and see. Like, let's just yes, – I just got to see this, you know, first. But, um, but no, the, the great thing about the Cajuns this year is they're in great shape at catcher. They're in great shape at shortstop. And they're in great shape in center field. Uh, and, you know, if they get good play at second, because second base was kind of an issue hitting wide. They never could find anybody that could hit. I mean, they had they could put a guy in the field, but then he couldn't hit. And so, and even the guy was supposedly a hitter more than a fielder, he didn't hit as well as they thought, and so that's why none of them are here. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But it, the biggest question mark about this team this year is going to be, the pitching, which they love talent-wise, but it's all totally unproven. So Yeah, and I mean, even the guy who's going to be the Friday night guy, Jake Hammond, we haven't seen him as a starter. We've only seen him as a, as a reliever. reliever, so that'll be interesting. He, he says he throws a heavy ball. Like, I always thought Lance Lynn, that's what I always said about Lance Lynn, he throws a heavy ball. Well, and so then the guy he announces the Sunday starter, again, my Florida State connections just keep coming back. Yeah. Jackson Neza is a Florida State transfer who I saw a good bit. And again, the talent was obviously there. He struggled throwing strikes and had a few other issues and kind of got phased out of their plans. But that's another guy. Yeah, talent-wise, there's going to be no doubt he can do it. It's just a matter of can it be consistent. We'll see. And he's speaking highly about Tommy Ray, so I'm anxious to see what he can do. All right, we'll take a timeout. Shift gears to Cajun softball. We'll talk to our good friend Bobby Nova next. Stay tuned.
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on Footnotes, you may not always exactly hear what you want to hear, but you will hear what you need. And of course, I got all these, oh, you're an idiot. And, you know, what kind of safe fan are you? I mean, look, I'm not telling you what I want to happen. I'm telling you what's going to happen, what more than likely is going to happen. Back to more of the sports talk you need to listen to with footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest, Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana sports station. station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Want to welcome in our good friend, Mr. Bobby Nova. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good, Kevin. How are you, man? Well, are you uh, okay with or completely nauseated about this major league bringing back the runner on second base and extra innings thing? No, I, I don't like it. Not at the major league level. I don't even like it in college football that much. You know, although, I, you know, I know it kind of shortens uh, extra inning games, I guess, but uh, I'm not a big fan. I like it if you're in a tournament and you're playing the next game and the game before you goes extra innings. Yeah, I can, you know, I can live with it a little bit, you know, in college softball, especially like you said, in tournaments, you know, trying to keep the uh, the games on time and so forth and so on, but. Again, just not a big fan of that. All right, so obviously you know way more about this team and and watch all their you know many of their practices and inter squad scrimmages and all. Uh, I always struggle when you have a weekend like you just had and you play teams that you're obviously way better than making heads or tails or you know how much of this is we're watching is fool's goal or not. With all of that in mind, what impressed you the most and maybe what still worries you the most coming out of this first weekend? I guess what impressed me the most was uh, the pitching. You know, and and like you said, the competition wasn't that great, but uh, the pitchers were able to get ahead in the count for the most part all weekend. You know, uh, I think we had something like um, 44 strikeouts, and only six walks. So, you know, that impressed me. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if maybe first base maybe concerns me a little bit because we played so many different kids there. Uh, but it's really not a, you know, a big issue for me. Um, you know, the fact that he played, you know, 15, I think it was 15 position players, you know, and how he's going to be able to, to manage that, I guess, is a little bit of a concern for me too, but you know that can be a good thing. Uh, it up, you know, and then it can also be a bad thing, depending uh, if the kids, you know, can all accept their roles on this team, because the the, the roster is really deep and uh, everyone's really talented. So, you know, that's my thoughts on. Uh, the positives and the negatives, I guess. The the only the only kind of spot where you're like, huh, I don't really like, you know, Sam walked four in her first two innings. And, you know, I mean, obviously they ended up killing them, and so it's not a big deal. But you certainly, you know, if you're playing 
you know, Florida State or UCLA or Oklahoma State. You don't want to be walking four uh, in two innings because you might have a tougher time getting away with that. You know, Kevin, I, you know, from the press box uh, uh, on Friday night, the uh, you know, Sam was getting that pitch off the outside corner, you know, one or two balls. And then on Sunday, uh, the, the plate up, I was a little bit tighter. And I just think that she had to just make an adjustment because, you know, about a third inning, she, she had it figured out and she did much better. And, you know, from what I saw, that's kind of what, what I thought might have been the issue, you know? Absolutely. All right. So I think, obvious, unfortunately, you know, injuries end up, dictating a lot and they've already got a key injury with Maya Davis out and coach Glasgow said yesterday you know right now they're thinking a month and you never know you're talking about a hand injury for a hitter and so you just never know and by the way what is with this trend of hand injuries for center fielders for this program is that like the third one in the last two years or something so you notice stuff like that a a lot more than I do so but if you tell me it is, then it is. You know, I believe you. Crazy. So, <laughs> so now you've got, you know, you got Sophie Piscos who who caught, and then you have this new catcher, Victoria Valdez, who just, I mean, thoroughly impressed me over the weekend. And and y'all have been telling me how good she looks, and 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 now I see everything that you're saying. You've been telling me. Well, why and, you don't believe me? <laughs> well. It's not so much you. I, I've heard coaches before over the years hype up these players, especially freshmen or or, or the first year Division One players, and then you know it doesn't really happen. But but it. I mean, again, it's only four games against overmatched competition. But it, she just looks like she knows what she's doing. Very impressive in a lot of different areas. So, like. It's still a lot of that's a lot of tricky decisions. Do you play her at third more? Do you play her at catcher? And if you you know do you do, do can Sophie really play third on a fairly regularly basis? Or you know does she need to be DP? But then if you DP, then what do you do with Jordan? And then what do you do if Stormy gets back into the mix? And and what do you do with Taylor Roman? That's a lot of decisions still. And Carly he? Yes. You know. So if well, Bobby's yeah, the know, coach, I, how do you he figure has all this? To make the lineup. You know, and not me, because uh, that's going to be, you know. But but I think he's going to, you know, he's always done a good job of managing the roster, you know, ever since he's been here. Of course, he's never had really this much talent on one roster, but uh, I find he does a good job in, of mixing and matching, and, you know, he's got a lot of moving parts, and he doesn't have, a, he doesn't have an issue with that. And, and then now with, with Maya being out, that kind of takes uh, Matty Hayden out of the uh, – equation at third base you know at least until Maya comes back so you're probably going to see uh either Vic or Sophie at third and you know kind of uh you know want to play catcher and want to play third and uh, we, we should have two fresh catchers maybe by the end of the season this year well I like that right and she's too good offensively to, to drain her offensive potential by catching her. So I agree with that. The other problem is, I, I, I don't, I mean, Sophie Piscos, if you tried to DP her, she might just explode. Like, I, I, she's got too much energy, I think, to sit in the dugout that exactly. long. Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I was, thinking, I was thinking the same thing. You know, I don't know what Sophie would do 
if, you know, if she had to sit in the dugout and wait, you know, 45 minutes for her next at bat, you know, uh, I, you know, I agree with you. She may just explode. <laughs> she might like run out on the field and start arguing with the umpire or something. I don't know. But yeah, so she, 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 she'd be running between innings and, you know, uh, she'd find something to do, I guess. But she's but, got a lot of energy. She, and I know she much <laughs> prefers being on the field. But the point of that, like her exuberance is noticeable for the fans. But the point of that is one of the things that sometimes fans and probably media members don't take into account is the mental makeup of players that coaches have to take into account when they're making these decisions as well. Yeah, you know, you you, you talked about Vic Valdez a little earlier. I've never seen, not one time since the first day of practice in the fall, that that kid ever uh, resembled a freshman to me. He came in. I mean, this kid's got so much confidence and just, just you know, her mental makeup and she's mentally strong and she's got so much confidence. She doesn't think she's ever going to fail. And that kind of, you know, her, her teammates feed off of that. And, 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 you know, she's a lot like Sophie, uh, maybe not quite as vocal, but I think as time goes on, you know, she's going to be another Sophie Piscos when it comes to being a vocal leader. And so, you know, and you're right, coaches take that kind of stuff into account. And now, was she on the same travel ball team uh, with Cecilia? Uh, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I think so. I think I think both those kids played in that uh, that Hot Shots organization. But but Vic <coughs> had a, had originally uh, he had originally committed to Texas Tech, and then the tech, Texas Tech made a coaching change and. She decommitted and uh, ended up coming to the Cajuns. Wow. That's how Vic ended up in Lafayette. All right. So I don't know if you heard the call. Uh, FedEx man called at the top of the hour, and he was concerned about the potential number one All-American kind of candidate pitchers that the Cajuns could face in this tournament. Um, do, do you have any sense? I mean, do, do you feel like or do you kind of expect that they would face three or four of them or that maybe you might get some number two pitchers? It's hard to say, Kevin. You know, with, with you know, Florida State has Sander Cock and UCLA has Ferriamo and Maxwell at Oklahoma State. And I know Arkansas State, her name slips my mind. I mean, Arkansas, uh, her mind, her name slips my mind. They have a good number one. But everybody, everybody in that tournament is, you know, have five or six games. Some teams have five games, some teams have six, and so it's hard to tell, if you, you know, how many times you're going to get the opposition's number one. But you know, uh, all of those teams' number two pitchers are, are, are very good, also. So it's just hard to tell, and it's going to be a good test for the Cajuns. And you know, win, lose, or draw, I think it's going to be a positive coming out of the tournament. Uh, you know, uh, for the rest of the season to be able to see those kind of pitches early in the year. All right. So I really don't know what to do with myself covering the Cajuns now because for years and years with Coach Lotif and and then even uh, Coach Glasgow, I joked about, yeah, right, y'all are going to have a staff. And, uh, you know, yeah, it always starts out, we're going to have a, a full, real pitching staff. And then it ends up, you know, you, you put all the – well, 
this is the first time that you might actually have a real pitching staff. So my question to you is if Tyler Oob keeps pitching like you telling me she was, what we saw this weekend, what Coach Glasgow keeps talking about, is there really going to be room to use her this season if everyone stays healthy? I think, yeah, I think Tyler's a, a, the kind of pitcher that can really help this team on the back end of games. When you get to the, uh, you know, maybe the fourth time through the lineup, bring her back behind, you know, Sam or Megan or, or Kendra, and I think she's going to be really, really effective in that kind of role. And, you know, of course, that's just my opinion. But I think she'll get some innings, especially, especially on the back end of games, because she can give – the hit is such a different look, and she can change speeds with her change, with her uh, with her rise ball. And you know, I don't think you see that very often, where a pitcher can change speeds on her rise ball. And, and that's what I think is going to you know make Tyler effective this year. It's just my opinion. Uh, I think she's going to be able to help this team, uh, you know, in the sixth or seventh innings. So did you see that Nestor Cortez apparently pulled a hamstring? He's no longer in the World Baseball Classic. I did not see that. that <clears throat> hamstrings already. For... <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? I mean, I've just been so busy with, with, with softball that uh, I haven't been following the Yankees a whole lot. Not a big spring training guy, you know. So, uh, But, no, I, I, I had not heard that. All right, Bob, we appreciate your time as always. Thank you very much, and uh, y'all be safe in Florida. Yes, indeed. And one thing before before you let me go, Kevin, I'm, 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 I'm not so sure I can continue to be your friend. Why? Well, you don't like the red uniform. Oh, I'm not a color uniform guy. I'm just not. Well, I know. I know, but those uniforms, are, they're, they're so pretty. When I saw the cages come out in red on, on Friday, I said, like, w- w- this, they look too much like Alabama for me to enjoy them that much. They look like Alabama yeah, they uniforms. They do, like, they do look like Alabama. So <clears throat> I don't like that. Probably, probably you and Bandit are the only two people that don't like those uniforms. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. All right, man. We'll- this is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do your loved ones run for cover when watching a game with you? Then Footnotes is the show for you. Time for more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Look, if you've been trying to get in and you haven't been able to because we've been yapping and we've been doing interviews, now is a good time to get in. The game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111 as we try to kind of um, – Figure out what's going on with Cajun baseball. Only three days away from the season opener at Rice. And then just to prepare you, if you haven't looked at the schedule, it's really kind of bizarre. Uh, a lot of it has to do with who you're playing. 
But the Cajuns are going to be playing at Rice a traditional Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three-game weekend series. Then they're going to play a four-game non-traditional, four games non-traditional enough, for especially in the college baseball, a Wednesday through Saturday four-game home series against BYU. I wonder if that's the first one of its kind in the history of the program. Because, like, I don't ever, a Wednesday through Saturday, like, now, it seemed like maybe two years ago, they played TCU on a four-game, maybe? Was it, like, Friday through Monday? I could be wrong, but I yeah, thought I remember, I remember, I remember that. Something like that. And yeah. And I think they've, they've done, like, um, well, you always get the weird ones at the end with Easter and stuff where you play on yeah, Thursday, but it's Friday, not a four-game right. series Wednesday through Saturday. But didn't they also have one where they played like a uh, a doubleheader one of the days and played a four-game series early? They've done some weird. I guess he likes to, uh, and I get it because that's more of like a conference tournament style. Get get used to the idea that you might have to play four games in four days at some point. Uh, anyway, just again next week the home opener is going to be on a Wednesday. That doesn't happen all that often. So the home opener will begin a four-game series with BYU. So, you know, we'll get a we'll get a chance to learn. And then they play McNeese on the Tuesday, and then they play Campbell for three at home. McNeese at home. I I point in the Jackson State. So a lot of home games after this first weekend. So we'll get a up close view and personal view of the Cajuns on the baseball side, on the softball side. We're not going to see them for very much over the next three or four weeks. So that's the way things go. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Morning, Kevin. Good morning, sir. Uh, well, Dawson's getting a good indoctrination to uh, the, the the foot the foot thought process uh, with this uh, Pacheco. And and he and he doesn't and he doesn't he doesn't agree with me on all of it. I've noticed Kevin, either. Kevin, Kevin, he can't even understand what's <laughs> going on in your brain. I mean, you know who who obsesses about a seven round draft pick for the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, you know, it's just not the norm, Kevin. You gotta, you gotta admit, it's not the norm. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, Kevin. I was thinking about this promo this morning. You warned Dawson about this negativity about uh, about uh, your boy car, and then your promo. I think Dawson might have played that promo on purpose, where you say, "Saints fan, oh, you, what kind of fan are you? You an idiot." I'm not telling you what I want to happen. Dawson's trying to tell you what is probably going to happen, Kevin. And you giving him some grief about being being negative. It's kind of the same thing. You know, he's just giving you what uh hate and, and listen, I hate to back him up, but man, I'm You negative too? You try you're well, trying to sentence me with Baker Mayfield? You, I'm not telling you what I want to happen. <laughs> you know I don't want that to happen. I'm just telling you now. Like, you know, I sent you the text after it came out Sunday, whatever, 4 o'clock. I just, I'm very concerned, man. I, well, I'm concerned, you know, too, I, but but but, but, but Baker Mayfield? And, and make an overpriced offer, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not, and I'm like, you, I'm not worried about that, all that cap baloney. You know, we, the Saints always, like you said, last year they were, they were making offers of 200-some million dollars to, to, uh, you got in Cleveland there, so right. I mean, you know, they can make it happen. It's not a problem with that, but uh, 
I'm just I'm not nearly as uh, uh, confident last week at the end of the week, done dealing, people were done dealing, and, you know, it's a done deal. Right? I, Oh no, I, I don't even want to hear that done deal stuff. So, but Manny, you do, Manny, you've been a coach for a long time, Manny. Quarterback is a leadership position. Correct, correct. Have you ever had a been a coach of a successful football team with a spalled brat playing quarterback? No, no. And listen, we it, 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 no. I can go back to every team we had. Either the quarterback was just a. Uh, a manager, you know, he, he might have been a young guy that, that knew his role, and we had a lot of other pieces in place, or we had just a really good guy, quarterback, that just was, I mean, everybody looked to him when something, you know, when it was time to make a play or when it was crunch time. No, never, Kevin. A small brat cannot, is not going to be a successful quarterback. That's what's wrong with Baker Mayfield. I'm telling you. I mean, no. Cannot happen. Cannot happen. Okay, one thing before I go. Ronnie called in last week, and Kevin Boyce said something that made me think. You like icing on the one thing that should not have icing on it, Kevin. Pop-tarts. I got to go with Ronnie on that. And you don't like icing on anything else, but you like it on Pop-tarts. Kevin, take that icing out of there. Get you some good old-fashioned cinnamon or blueberry or strawberry. Slap that butt on top. Oh, I like that too. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying I like it pretty much the same with the with with, like you don't like a strawberry pop tart. You don't like strawberry pop tarts. Oh, I mean, listen, listen. it has ice—strawberry, blueberry pop tarts with butter on top. It's hard to hard to think of anything better for breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man. All right, y'all, y'all have a good. The man's taking it up for you. He's got Dawson's back. We'll be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foote is a walking, talking encyclopedia of New Orleans Saints history. No. Seriously. After that is 2013, which I call the Forgotten Saints season, because in so many people's mind, the Saints' streak of good football ended with the Bounty Gate season. And it's not just recent history either. In 88, they finished 10 and 6, tied for first place in the division, did not make the playoff because they got cheated by a blind official named Fred Silver, who absolutely cheated, uh, stole a game on Sunday night in a 13 to 12 loss to the Giants with his either blindness and epic or cheating or whatever you want to call it. I think he was just blind and senile. We return to the man who's forgotten more Saints history than you will ever know. Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. For notes, Kevin Foot on the game. Got a few minutes left if you would like to get in. If you want to rebuke me for eating icing on Pop-Tarts, that's legal, I guess. What number do you think Baker Mayfield's going to wear when the Saints sign him? You think he's going to go back to number six or like this number 17 he wore with the Rams? Six. <laughs> Tommy Bornhart. I mean, what a dumb number, six. Like Bubby Brister wore six. 
Did anybody else ever do six that was any plan? Like a Jay Cutler? Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd take Jay Cutler in his prime over this guy. At least Jay Cutler could throw the ball down. He was kind of a knothead, but at least he could throw the ball down the field. Baker Mayfield can't even throw the ball down the field. He's miserable. You know, you can almost kind of sort of live with a – that you wouldn't want to, but like a spalled brat kind of guy with a bad attitude if he was like this – super fantabulous athletic guy. Like maybe Caleb Williams might be that guy. We'll see if his attitude and things kind of... Yeah, I don't know enough about his attitude, but... So so you think he's better than Stroud in this crop? Full, at just going off quarterback talent and like arm strength, yeah, he reminds me of Mahomes in that aspect. And I saw him play in the Cotton Bowl live and like some of the throws he made were just like I mean ridiculous throws like you think he's throwing the ball away but he's putting the ball on the top shelf he's he's got that arm talent yes there are some concerns though about again the attitude and things like that now he's pretty young and he's got time he's gonna have another year in college so we'll see and Lincoln Riley seems like a pretty good coach so maybe they get some of that figured out but and it's not like he's had like you know huge off-the-field arrest issues or anything. It's just the maturity level has been questioned. But talent-wise, he is like the most talented quarterback I've seen in the past several years. All right, I'm getting rebuked for not saying Thomas Morstead. Now, but again, that's a punter. Like, six is a punter number. Tommy Bornhart, Thomas Morstead, that's fine. But you can't wear that. I'm talking about quarterback. Can't wear it. six is an awful number for quarterback to me. I mean, it's like you you know, twelve to me is the ultimate quarterback number. I grew up with twelves. So like you're you're just basically admitting I'm half as good as Staubach and Bradshaw and Jim Kelly and all the other Lynn Dickey and all the other twelves I grew up. You're saying I'm half as good as those guys. It's just an awful number for a quarterback. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, good, good morning. Good morning. Real quick, you're talking about the young man, Caleb Williams. Okay. Foot, how mature were you at 18, 19, 20 years old? Be honest. Well, probably more mature than most in a lot of areas, but no, I get your point. I mean, we shouldn't tag a young man, especially that young, with a, a with a, a, an attitude issue. Shoot, man. You know, you just look at your kids and they're dead. Their age and you at that age of eighteen. No, 19, that that's 20. that and that's foot, fair. Yeah. Also, but um, frosting on 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 pop tarts is just uh, abomination. Come on now, man! You're making me feel bad about this. You got to eat that plain, man. <laughs> I mean, just regular old strawberry pop tarts or the, you know, like someone else mentioned, the blueberry one. Just no 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 frosting whatsoever. Oh, I, I I love those. I'm just saying I will eat the ones with frosting and enjoy it just as much is all I'm saying. The one with the top with the frosting is like you eat nothing but hard candy. <laughs> I understand. Boy, y'all making boy, y'all making me feel guilty. Bad. Have a good one, bud. All right, take care. No, his point is well made. Look, some guys, it's like uh Jameis. Jameis was a punk at Florida State in probably his first year or two. But Jameis right now, now you might say, obviously, you know, Dennis Allen didn't think he was any good. But Jameis right now is not a punk. He 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 got he overcame that. He got he moved past that. So to the to his point, 
you know, just because he made some silly, immature things doesn't mean he's always going to be that way. I think we under, we should understand. Yeah, no, I agree, and I would still take him with the number one pick right now if I if we could, like if he was out in this draft class, no doubt about it. But but also, you say about Baker Mayfield, like he hasn't. What has he done in the past few years that's got you all? Just got to look at his stupid face. Yeah, I mean, I just is that what it is? Baker Mayfield. Look, I, I just think look, even Aaron Rodgers, who is the most egotistical, arrogant athlete I have ever seen, ever. Even Aaron Rodgers didn't have the gall to criticize a peer. Like, Baker Mayfield openly criticized Daniel Jones being picked in the first round as high as he did. Like, who are you to say anything about Daniel, about anybody? Like, you're this little pipsqueak third or fourth round talent who just got picked number one because you happen to be coached by, you know, uh, an offensive guru at Oklahoma and had all this talent around you. You you, you have no great ability. Like, just, just the gall of that just... I wonder if he was even watching Daniel Jones play well this year for the first time he ever had a head coach of any ability. Like, he's been dealing with no offensive line, no wide receivers, and no coach. But but but, but I'm going to laugh at his ability to play in the league. Just get out of here. Baker Mayfield. Did you see Baker Mayfield play this year and last year? He looks terrible. Game-winning drive for the Rams' first game, just saying. Oh, man loves Baker Mayfield. Y'all trying to just kill me after what I've been through the last three, four years. If that happens, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Y'all have a nice day.